Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partner, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is brought to you by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you get to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head to 301 South Main Street. Buddy, a little tough coming off of that uh, that close out there, but we got a we got a big one tonight. We got a big one tonight. It's gonna be gonna be fun. It's not gonna all be doom and gloom. Not all doom and gloom. Gonna be a lot of fun. Someone we've been talking about getting on the pod for quite a while now, and um, you know. Let's sort of waste no time. Let's introduce him here. Uh, basically, this guy, young guy, great writer for Sons of Saturday, great writer for the key play, and a Virginia Tech graduate of 2021. We are excited to have him on. And tonight we bring on Shelton Moss to uh, talk a little bit of everything with us. Shelton, good evening, sir. How are you today? Hello, gentlemen. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I wish I was in a slightly better mood after a Hokies win, but uh, tough loss tonight. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But still, it's it's good to be on. I'm always uh, happy to talk with you guys. Yeah, yeah, tough one. To, the the close out there. There was that little run, that nine zero run that that took a game where you know we were right there the whole way, shooting well, and then just had a tough time getting to go in the basket there at the end, and really a rough night on defense as well. A real night on defense, man. I mean. I've been looking at the stats here. Uh, where they shoot Miami shot sixty six percent from two and forty two percent from three. He's not going to get it done. Yeah, forty two percent from three. You know, over eighty percent from the line. They out rebounded the Hokies. Slight edge. The turnovers that were at fourteen to eleven, not a big deal. But the the, the rebounds to me were the real killer tonight. I mean, you're, you're talking plus six for them in the category, and. And that in this those three threes in that consecutive stretch, Tech goes up one off a free throw. I think it was Poteet that hit it or Basile. And they hit the free throw. We're up. I one. can't remember. I can't remember either. It's it's I was putting a kid to bed while watching it. It's tough sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seriously. But and then it's like bam, bam, bam. And 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 I think it's just I said it in the first half too. I, I was putting another child to bed. It's 16 to 8. And I come back and we're down like 6. And it's like, shall let's just talk about this game and just some stuff in general. What is it about these stretches where we see out the gate hot tonight? Out the gate hot, 16-8. And then the next thing you know, it, it's this five to seven minutes of cold. You know, what do you see for that when you're as you've been watching this team all year in your what are the frustrations with it? Yeah, I mean, I try not to overreact too much just because, you know, it is college basketball. Like, it's it's a game of runs. You're going to go on hot streaks. You're going to go on cold streaks. And that just happens. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, Mike runs a very motion-oriented offense. So, you know, sometimes maybe the ball gets stuck. Sometimes they're not, you know, running the actions the way they need to be. They're not fighting through screens. Thing. Like, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of detail that goes into it. And sometimes the execution just isn't there. So, um, you know, we shoot a lot of threes. I don't think... I know we're not shooting as many threes as we did, you know, last year. Um, and I don't think yeah. we're super reliant on the three as much as people think. But look, if, if you're going to shoot the threes and, you know, sometimes they're not going to fall. So you got to find other ways to score. And I think, 
you know, Basili, uh, physicality has been an issue this season. I think he's been better the last couple games, as we saw ACC player of the week this week. So he's gotten better there, um, you know, but for the most part, you know, I think they, they kind of miss Aluma, just kind of what he was able to do in the post last season. Um, not quite the same player, uh, Basili, that is, as uh, number 22. So, I mean, you know, this was good tonight. I mean, you can't complain. I think uh, I saw a stat on Twitter that Tech was the first team in the country uh, this season to lose a game where they shot 50, 40, 90, meaning 50% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. So they were the first team in the country to lose a game this season shooting that split. So I just, you know, the snake bit doesn't even begin to describe it, man. It's just been a tough season. What are the luck metrics for this Hokies basketball <laughs> team this year? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can I can check it. The last time I checked, they were like bottom 20 in the country. <laughs> so we got... It makes yeah. sense. It makes sense. So we are... We are bottom 20 in the country this year in luck in terms of Kenpom. Now, if you want me to, you know, get into the weeds of that, like, I don't know, I, maybe I could. I just think, you know, we haven't been – we haven't been great closing up games. We haven't played well down the stretch. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, so much a coaching issue as maybe it is an execution issue, but this team just can't close out the, the, the close games. Yeah, they definitely struggled. I mean, whether it's sometimes a cold streak, sometimes sloppy passing um, and execution on the offensive end, sometimes, you know, just a bad rotation on defense and they – are giving up some big open shots to guys that are at that moment hot, like, like Mac was tonight. So um, it's just kind of been a little bit of everything at those key moments of the games. Um, but let, let's turn yeah. back the clock a little bit here. Um, we got a blowout win against Syracuse on Saturday. Uh, where do you think this team stands after Syracuse, after Miami at this moment in terms of chances to make the NCAA tournament? Sure. So I think this loss tonight definitely changes the complexion considerably. Um, I know one game isn't, you know, the too critical, but, you know, coming to this game, I, I, I was looking at um, a site called Bart Torvik, which does some NCAA projection simulations, and they gave us a 43% chance of making before this game. So with the Miami loss, maybe that's down to like, you know, 37, 36, somewhere in that range. I think that's pretty reasonable. The problem is you're three and eight in the ACC. It's a down year for the league. You know, you got you. I mean, you have to be you, like UVA lost win on Saturday. Like you cannot lose that game and make the tournament um, unless you want to, you know, get an at large again and try to try to win the whole thing. Um, but, you know, they got to win that game. I mean, they, they would have to go. What is it like nine and one, nine and two? I don't know how many games they have left. I guess they got they got nine games left now. So maybe like seven and two, eight and one. I mean, that's that's a really tough ask. So, you know, like I said, I try not to overreact to a single game, but it's like it's more so the fact that you you started the season three and eight and put yourself in such a tough spot rather than, you know, just this one loss tonight. I mean, Miami's a good team. You know, they're going to play good basketball. They got shot, they got shot makers, they got playmakers, but it's just the fact that you started so poorly, you put yourself in such a bad position. And that seems to be a recurring thing with this team. All right. So here, here let me, let me, let me, let me preface this, Sheldon. We were talking before you hopped on with us and Brian said, beat UVA. Then we have to beat BC, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Louisville, Florida State. That's seven. So, yes. so are you saying like either you have to beat Miami or Duke along with the UVA win Saturday to have any shot? Um, UVA is a must win. I just don't see how you can lose that game and make it because, like, even if you, you know, even if you, I mean, if you lose it, like, you would have to go like nine and no the rest of the way, and that's not even a guarantee to get you oh, in. No. So I. Yeah. Like, you know, I just think you have to win that game. And after that, you know, Duke, that's going to be a really tough game. Like, if they beat Duke and UVA, I mean, they're they're in business. But that's, I mean, that's a really tough ask. I just, again, it just goes back to the to the bad start. You can't run and set every year and expect to, to be in a good spot. Yep. Yeah, definitely definitely can't dig a hole in January like we've done back-to-back -back seasons and expect 
anyone to do you any favors. And I will say, you know, the committee might give a little bit of credence this year more than they gave last year, just because of Couture being out and looking at, at that over that four game stretch. But I still think we still dug ourselves too much of a hole at this point where we really have to almost be perfect the rest of the way, save for maybe one game um, to, to really feel like you're secure heading into that selection. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and to your point, I just to make a quick point, you know, also the non-conference schedule, like, Non-conference resume was awesome. I mean, they beat you know Penn State, they beat uh, Oklahoma State. Obviously, UNC was a conference game, but you know back in back in December. Yeah. Um, that's why it's so disappointing because if they, if Tech went eleven and nine with a couple of good wins in this conference schedule, they would shoe in the tournament with their Absolutely. non-conference resume. But they just yeah. they just fell apart. It's tough. It, it's not like it was last year where the non-conference hurt the team. It it this year it actually boosted it. But let's be honest about that non-conference in some of those early games. It, I mean, what. 12, 11 and one, 12 and one in non-conference, but there were cracks there. There were, you know, we saw it to us. It was always the three point shooting. Cause I told Brian, I said, we can't live and die shooting 29, 28% from three 35, 36. There's a chance. Was there anything else you noticed in those early wins? You know, the Penn state win, the win over ODU, the Oklahoma state win. Was there anything you noticed statistically that said, if that keeps trending, What's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. So statistically, I think um, the three-point shooting was abnormally bad. Like I was bad against Penn State. It was bad against ODU. Um, I was a couple weeks ago. I was looking at some numbers where I found that uh, Virginia Tech's current three-point percentage as a team would rank the lowest of any Mike Young team since 2011. So I think that kind of says a lot. Like they're just not clicking for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's maybe like, you know, lesser quality of looks or, or they're just not get, getting the ball to the right spot. Um, but yeah, just three point shooting for whatever reason has not been, has not been there. Um, I know it's kind of obviously improved the last few games. I'm sure they'll get, you know, they'll, they'll rise as the season progresses, but yeah, just the weird, the weird three shooting, you know, Padula's kind of, kind of fell off a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I never really, honestly, I never could have imagined that losing Hunter Couture would have had such a drastic impact. You know, I know it's not, it's not a me to make excuses, but it's like when you start the season 11 to one and then you lose four, five games, all five games without, you know, a, a guard like Couture who granted, you know, he's not, uh, he's a good player, but he's not like, you know, MVP of the league or anything. I mean, you lose all those games with him. Clint's just completely falls apart. You know, uh, you just can't beat any of those teams. It's like, you know, what happened? Like, I, I think it kind of shows the value he has, but it's also like, Man, like, what? Why are we so dependent on one player? That's kind of what. That's kind of what I want to know. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, we've had you know rotations where where Hunter's been off the floor in the past that hasn't impacted as much as it does. It seems like with this rotation this season, you know, he missed you know a, a decent number of games in that stretch. Uh, what is it? Do you think about his skill set that this team kind of leans on, and, and and what it was missing when when he was out? Uh, he's a great green setter he's a great cutter um you know i do film reviews all the time for the key play and when i'm going back and watch the game it's like almost every single time that tech runs a beautiful offensive set or an offensive action couture's in the middle of it you know because he's the one setting the screens and there is a very much a you know a precise arc to screen setting um the way he cuts without the basketball the way he moves without the basketball uh the way he passes and, and mike young said the way he receives the ball another you know kind of minute detail there but the way he catches the ball which obviously the, the forearm fracture kind of hampered. Uh, and then also his defense, you know, he's a very good defender. He has good footwork. Um, he's hard to, you know, kind of, kind of body up and get past. He doesn't foul very much. He doesn't bite for dumb shot fakes. Uh, and then the shooting obviously kind of self, you know, he's a guy that can go off for six threes in one night. He's a, 
he's a, a good shooter, but also a high volume shooter, which is very rare. I mean, he's shooting 40% from three on a very high volume. Uh, and I think that's, you know, one of the best marks uh, in the country if you look to his attempts. So, I mean, he, he just does everything, like all those little things and, and the things you can see in the box score and the things you don't see in the box score. I mean, it's just, he just does everything. Yep, it's true. He does everything. And his the defense, I mean, you could probably tell this to me. I mean, how many – where is he in as far as taking charges this year? Even with four games missed, it felt like the early part of the season, every game he got two or three charges taken, which is crazy. But, again, that's great position defense. That's great being in the right spot. And so many times just doing that, it helps. It, what it helps in general is the other team now is not going to attack him that way. So it's going to be easier for the rest of the team because they know they're not going to attack him that way. He's already drawn a charge. They can't get good shots off. So a lot of easy things. Let's pivot to something else, though. Let's talk about minutes. Um, now, Darius Maddox missed tonight's game as he did Saturday's game. So he's not been in a while. But kind of starting with the Duke game, we saw his minutes get significantly cut. He only had six minutes in that Duke game where Kidd and Collins, the two primary guys off the bench, got 20 and 22. Poteet was at six. Um, and before that, though, he had been sort of – he had always been up there. And for, for some reason this year – I mean, we know he's a good player, but for this for some reason this year he just could not find it. Um, do you think – is he going to come back? Have you heard anything? Is it – you know – is he coming back? Is everything okay? Because I think that's the first moment is he's not there. If he's there, you could say maybe he's sick and yeah. he hurt something, but he's just not on the bench. And, you know, we all want to make sure he's okay before anything else. Yeah. So I know absolutely nothing about his you know status with regards to returning to the team. I know it's a family matter. It seems pretty serious if we're to take Mike Young at his word, which I will. Um, as far as his playtime, which you mentioned, I think the issue with Maddox is that he is not a very – physical driver like he has he has trouble sort of attacking the rim because he's kind of a kind of has a thin frame and just doesn't really seem to be no doesn't really know what he's doing all the time kind of awkward when he when he wants to finish so if he's not driving the basketball then he has to shoot threes but his three-point shot has been there this year so instead he's selling for mid-range jumpers which are kind of an inefficient shot now he's, he's hit some but it's not the best shot it's not the shot you want which is why if you look at you know the analysts is his rim and three red is down a lot. You know, you want to be shooting ideally shots to the rim and shots from three, and he's not getting those as much as uh, his counterparts. Um, you know, defensively, I think he's been kind of, you know, so-so. Um, but you see with Collins, I mean, MJ Collins is a guy that, you know, is six foot four-ish athletic, uh, you know, very athletic wing who can get to the cup occasionally, plays good defense, I think. Um, so that's why he's he's been playing. And I, just, I think uh, Mike Young is really um, – you know, giving him the green light because he's been, you know, so good as a, as a freshman on both ends of the court. Um, and I just think with Maddox, you know, it's, um, I think his role, ideally, this is just my opinion. I think his role would be better suited to come off the bench as more of like a spot up shooter type, which was his role last season, you know, just come off, give like maybe 15, 20 minutes off the bench max, uh, you know, hit a few threes, maybe like a, you know, a spot up shooter, catch and shoot type of guy. I just don't know if the game is really built to be, you know, a, a, a full-time starter yeah. at the ACC level. I just, I just think he's, he just doesn't really have that in his game. Yeah. And, and it worked in spots as we went down the stretch run last year, especially in the tournament. Um, but it seems like sustaining that over the full course of a season, he hasn't been able to get it done in that role. And I, I definitely agree with you. I think kind of a guy you bring off the bench to be a spot shooter, a guy you put in the lineup when you want, you know, your three point guys on, on the court, but maybe not that full-time starter that we've seen at the start of the year. Um, 
let's talk a little bit more. I know, you know, we got your know, kids had some good minutes. Uh, Poteet had, had said some, some good minutes tonight. Um, do we, when we look at Maddox, are, are we kind of going to get some of the minutes replaced in aggregate with those players um, with Collins, with, with kid on the court as well. And uh, I yeah, guess I think say so. John I mean, Camden as well. Yeah, actually, Camden is a good guy to bring up because I thought he played a solid game in Syracuse. You know, miss, he missed his first few shots, you know, which comes. Um, but, you know, he, he ended a very good – ended the game on a very good note, played good defense, got a few rebounds, had some assists. Um, I just – you know, right now, you know, Collins is a guy – or excuse me, yeah, uh, Camden rather. Camden is a guy that has, hasn't played college basketball essentially ever before this season because you know, he was hurt last year at Memphis um, in his first season. So he's, he's sort of like – a redshirt freshman, essentially, or I mean, you might as well say true freshman because he really hasn't played uh, much at all or been yeah. able to, you know, practice much at all. Um, I like him, you know, it kind of has that like sort of small forward, power forward type role. Um, ideally, if he can work on a three point shot, that'd be great because I think that's where most of his value would lie. And, you know, talking about, you know, Kid and Poteet, you know, it, depending on what the matchups are, if you want to go big, you can put those guys in. So I think, you know, the depth, the depth at, at forward is fine. It's just, you know, when you're missing Maddox, obviously. And then having to play Collins as a freshman, as good as he is, you're going to kind of go through those growing pains. It's just uh, it's, it's a tough situation sometimes. So, you know, I think the wing depth has really hurt the Hokies this season. I know it's gotten better, but that's probably the one area where I'd look at and say, you know, the the, the play is really holding this team back. Absolutely. All right, let's pivot next to this guy. All right, so it took forever for him to play, and then he plays, and we're excited. We're excited against it when he played in that Syracuse game. First time we saw him, Rodney Rice. And then he gets hurt and he breaks his finger. <laughs> so for all of us, it's just like this, like, oh, my gosh. But let me just ask you, because I'm sure you reviewed a lot of his tape in recruiting, um, being down there, you know, you've seen him play. How much of an impact do you think that skill set would have on this roster? Let's say he was healthy from Jump Street back in November. Well, a lot. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I didn't watch a ton of his one in high school, but just, you know, seeing how he plays, seeing him in practice, you know, he's a guy that's super long and athletic. Um, he's a versatile playmaker. He can sort of, you know, beat you off the bounce. I think you know, one thing about the Mike Young system is that he typically recruits, you know, guys who can shoot, guys who are skilled over those long athletic slasher types, which is more of the, the Rodney Rice model, you know, sort of what Darius Maddox ideally would be. Rice is a guy, when you have the extra component of like a slasher who just get to the cup and, and score at will, I mean, that, that provides so much, even if it's only in a bench roll, like 10 to 10 to 12 minutes a game. I mean, that's, you know, that provides a ton, especially because, you know, he's a point guard. So radically he would be giving uh, Sean Padula more minutes on the bench to rest. And then you could slide him, you know, at the, at the one play Couture with him essentially. Cause I don't think Couture, I, I just don't like him, uh, you know, being in sort of like, you know, uh, secondary point guard role. I just, I don't like his, you know, his vision necessarily, or his, I don't think he has like the speed or the handles to be effective in that role. Obviously he's a shooting guard. That's what he is. So dealing with race, you could just have him play the backup one, which would, you know, give, give Padula some more rest and, and have Couture and everybody else play in their normal positions. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been a big loss. I mean, like you saw, you know, Curtis, you alluded to the fact that tech was 11 and one in non-conference and that was without Ruddy Rice. So it's not like this team is, you know, desperately needing a guy like that, but, it would provide a lot of boost, I think, in conference play, especially once he kind of gets his uh, legs going. Yeah, and and when we look at this, we've seen so many different kind of versions of this Hokie team this year between Couture being out and some of the the forward and center um, rotations that they've had. 
what version, what what lineup, what what ideal play style, um, what game, what yeah, what we'll game. say that. What what game showed the kind of the mold of what the Hokies need to play over this the stretch run of the season so they can so, uh, potentially secure a spot in the tournament without having to rely on running the table in Greensboro. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a specific game, I would say, you know, I would say Syracuse, but that, that's a little bit different because of the, you know, the defense they run, um, you kind of attack that a lot differently. Um, but just looking at the, um, you know, the games here, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State, I thought was actually a really impressive win because they're a team similar to Texas, very big, physical, they play good defense, not the best offensive team. But Tech won that game playing very poorly. I think they shot what did they shoot? You know, 45%-ish. I mean, they shot 35% from three, which wasn't very good. But they gritted out a five-point against a good team on a neutral site. Like, that that's the type of win where I was like, okay, this team is legit. Like, they are better than last year. You know, it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, but, you know, the UNC win looked good. Obviously, they didn't have Baycott. So, that kind of played a But, you know, they took a, another top 25 team, in my opinion, uh, one by eight against them. Um, and then Duke as well. I mean, I still think Duke is good. You know, after uh, the Blue Devils lost to uh, to the Hokies, they beat Georgia Tech by 43. Yeah. So, you know, that's a team, in my opinion, that is still kind of in that top 25 range, even though they're not ranked. But Tech was able to beat them. They shot well from three. Uh, they played, you know, they got enough defensive stops when they needed to, and they were really physical about I mean, Filipowski, you know, seven-footer who handles the ball like a guard. You got Mark Mitchell, who's six-foot-eight, being guarded by MJ Collins. Like, that's, you know, that's a pretty big uh, disparity there. But they were they were able to get the win. So, I mean, just stuff like that, you know, when you shoot, you move the ball and you, and you just get enough defensive stops, you know, I think this is a team that is never, like, we are never going to play, you know, great defense under Mike Young. It just has to be that sort of, like, borderline competent level where we can get enough stops so where the offense can, you know, can can give us a chance. Um, so, you know, games like that, Oklahoma State, uh, UNC, I mean, even the Dayton game as well, that's probably a much more accurate reflection of what this team can be but it just hasn't really materialized in conference play. All right. I got one more question before we pivot over to women's hoops. Of the losses, which one pissed you off the most? Which one, like, were you sitting there? I'm going to bring it because I had a little beer before we got on. Did you literally <laughs> yes. finish the game, whether you were at Castle or sitting there in your apartment, and you were just like, I want to drink because I'm freaking angry. Like, what the hell just happened? Which game? Which game? I would say based on how it played out. Okay. This is my honest answer. It was BC. It was Boston okay. College. Not for, not for any particular reason, except for the fact that I just hate losing to that team because we cannot beat them. We cannot beat them at that damn building. What is it? The Conti Forum. On that we damn cannot, campus. We cannot beat them. In general, no. we cannot win on that. By the way, they I mean, beat, did you see their win tonight? They beat. Yeah, Clemson. they beat Clemson. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, it doesn't make sense. In football. <laughs> 2019 and 2021, they beat us in football. Like, it's just, I just hate losing. Like, I was so mad about it because I just hate losing to them. Like, I don't know what it is. Um, we lose our minds every I mean, time we go up there. It's true. It's the yeah, lack I of mean, atmosphere. Outside of that, yeah, yeah, just, I, I don't know. You just, you gotta, you gotta create your own energy at a place like that. It's just hard to do sometimes. So, uh, but I'm sure we'll get them back at the, at the rematch uh, in a week or so. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I mean, NC State was tough just because we had him at home, and I thought we played an okay game. Um, you know, Virginia, that was a loss to, you know, a very good team, so I'm not I'm not too worried about that. Clemson was frustrating because we just could not hit. I mean, we, we played defense, but we could not hit anything. Not hit um, anything. We lost on the last second three. You know, Hunter Couture got a good look at the end, didn't go in, so that was kind of frustrating. Just, you know, it felt like kind of a, a string of bad luck there. But, yeah, man, I just – I hate losing to Boston College. I hate it more than else in the world. We all do. And, but by the way – 
we're going to talk football schedule later with you. So we, we were so happy when they ditched divisions, right? So happy. We don't yeah. have to go to BC anymore. Damn ACC. Hey, one more year and you're going to go on the road to BC one last time. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right, Brian, let's go over to women's hoops, man. Um, And let's just be realistic. This is a super talented Hokies women's team. Um, now yes. they, they, they've dropped a couple against similar ranked against Notre Dame. There is, there is no shame in losing to Notre Dame. Um, no. but the L against Miami, that one, that one irritates me. Cause it's like, we know we're better than them. They lost to Duke last week. Duke's a top 20 team. There's no ill will in that, but what's the realistic yeah. ceiling in your opinion under Kenny Brooks this year? How far can this team go? <laughs> Yeah. So when it comes to uh, postseason basketball, I try not to talk in terms of ceiling just because I know that the term is so random. And so I don't want to define success or failure based on, you know, very uh, specific individual outcomes. Uh I will say that if I'm just judging based on talent, like if I were to run like a thousand simulations of this season in some sort of computer model, I think this team absolutely has the talent to go to the Sweet 16. And I think they could make the elite eight. Now, Final Four is a different is a different ballgame because the um, the talent distribution in women's basketball is really skewed much more so than men's sort of at, sort of at the top. Like you got obviously the Yukons and the South Carolinas. Like if you just look at like this, those teams are so much you know farther ahead than every other team. Whereas yeah. I think in men's you have you have a little bit more parity. Um, so I you know I don't want to define them too much, but you know if they can make a deep run in the AC tournament. Certainly capable if they can get to the Sweet 16. I would say I would say this, Curtis. They have to win the first weekend because because remember yes. in women's basketball, if you don't if you don't know, uh, you host the regionals yep. or wh- whatever you call it, the, the first round, the second yeah. round. So the 64, the round of 32, you host that at the uh, at the at the upper seed. So if Tech's hosting that, like you got to win that. That's yep. that's no excuse. You're playing at home. You're playing as you know probably like a a seven seed or you know a, a 15 seed. So you, you just you got to win that first weekend. Laws know why goes Florida Gulf Coast and makes like 600 threes or shoots 60% from three. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> tough matchup. <clears throat> that, that, that's tough. That's a tough draw. Um, and looking at this team, you know, this team has shown a, a propensity against some of the tougher opponents they played to, to really play strong for three quarters and then kind of fade in that fourth. Have you observed anything that would kind of explain, you know, why this team may fade a little bit down the stretch in those games? Yeah, so I haven't paid as much uh, uh, scrupulous attention to the women's team as I have the men's, but I will say just from what I've kind of, kind of observed, um, look, Kenny Brooks will admit they're not the most athletic team. They're, that's just not the way they're built. They're built more on like high IQ players who you know who who know who know the game, who can move the ball. That's kind of their mo. And I think sometimes when that happens, if you're not really like athletically dominant, you know, sometimes you're going to run to opponents where you can you know kind of outwork you physically and i think sometimes that's that's happened to them just in terms of you know the shot creation you know, you know dribble penetration to the rim that stuff is kind of based on athleticism so uh if the shots aren't falling occasionally you're, you know you're going to run into some misses um and also you know liz kitley uh is there that draws so much attention like she will get double teamed she will get triple teamed sometimes and uh, it, that's a lot harder to pass out of than it looks i mean she's gotten a lot better with that you know in terms of her her iq her awareness on the court on the court knowing where the double teams are coming from but if she's if, if teams are targeting her you know that that means that other players have to be on the top of their game and if they're not then, then it becomes really hard because it's it's you know not easy to neutralize her but if, you, if you're double teaming her or triple triple teaming her on every possession you got to pass the ball up. That's just, you know, that's just how it works. So it's kind of incumbent on other players to sort of step up and sometimes, you know, 
it doesn't happen like, like the way you should. But that being said, they're still a top 20 team in the country, in my opinion. So I think I think they'll be fun. I, I think you've already answered this next question we have. Um, you already talked about we already talked about, you know, tournament success. I mean, is the disappointment essentially not getting out of the first weekend at home? Yes, mainly because we're hosting. Like, you know, you got your home crowd with you. And I think ideally you'd like to see Tech be three or four seed at worst. I mean, right now they're ranked 13. So they're going to be a three or four seed ideally at worst, just that nothing goes terribly wrong throughout the throughout the end of the year. So you're playing a 14 seed to start. And then you would get probably the, I guess, would be the 6-11 winner after that. So, I mean, those, those should be winnable games, again, on your home court where you're going to be favored. So definitely, they, they, I would love to see this team make it out of the uh, out of the first weekend. Brian, anything yeah. else? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think the, the you know the, the mark of of failure would be okay. Well, back to back first round exits, especially early, especially when you're hosting. So um, that would definitely be a disappointment. Um, let's flip it over though. Let's flip it over to, to Hokies wrestling. Um, which we know Big, you have been attending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we've seen you, uh, you know, re- reporting live from the field there. So, um, yeah, let's let's run it back to NC State first. Let's run it back to NC State. Um, Five thousand nine hundred forty-three in Castle. Big time atmosphere for wrestling. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome, man. You know, I went with a bunch of friends. I went with uh, my boy, uh, David Cunningham, and a few others, and we just had a good time. You know, I feel like wrestling is a very underrated college sport. I would say pound for pound, it is probably one of the more energetic atmospheres of any sport you will ever see. Um, just because the way gets into it, you know, when when two guys are going at it and the clock's ticking down, there's the, the energy level, the noise level. It's just awesome. And it's, it's something that, like, I haven't really experienced throughout my life because I've only been to a handful of wrestling matches. But when you get in there and you see, you know, the intensity, it's just, it's awesome, man. So it was, it was super, super good to get that win because I know NC State is sort of like the premier program. Not that Tech isn't, but like they are one of the premier programs in the ACC and in the country. So so a win against them is like a win against Duke in basketball. Like it's, it's a it's a program defining win. Yeah, it, it really is. They're one of the best in the country. Um, I, I want to talk about a part of that atmosphere that night was Andy Smith, the local kid, when he secured yes. that win. Like you've been in Castle for basketball games, we know. Did that play shake when he got that final? When he secured the the win and got that point for essentially the upset? I don't know if it shook, but I say it was just as loud as if uh, as if you know uh, Hunter Couture hit a game winning three in Castle like that. It was loud, man, and I believe I believe he was the second to last match of the night, if if I'm not mistaken about that. Yeah, hold on. It was it was definitely towards the end. I don't know. I don't. I don't know exactly where yeah, it was yeah. in there, but it was so definitely think, right for, towards the end. Yeah. So he got like a takedown or something to go up uh, at the at, towards the very end, and then the uh, he, so he was up by like maybe like one or two, and so the NC State player, the wrestler, was trying to get a takedown of him, and kind of had him like you know up on one leg, sort of trying to you know wrestle him down, and he did a great job of defense, you know, staying upright. Uh, time expired so again i don't know anything about wrestling technicalities but you could just tell like he he did a great job of sealing out that match and that was what allowed tech to uh, to win the match ultimately so it yep. was a great job by him yeah it was the next to last match but what it did is it effectively yes. put tech up enough with hunter um hunter kataka loss but that was an expected loss um yes one of my fraternity brothers david fuqua you i've mentioned him before on here he wrestled at longwood college he is my go-to on wrestling Literally, I am seriously, if he feels like it, it's going to be tough for him, he's a CPA. 
I'm seriously, when we go to nationals, we might have him on for 15 minutes because he knows enough about it. And me and him had a conversation yeah. after Bryce, after Bryce and Anna absolutely destroyed a top 10 wrestler. And I said, does Bryce have a chance? And he says, yeah, because the guy that won at 157 went to 165. And he says 157 is not as stacked. He says Bryce Adana has a legitimate shot to win a national title. And when we say that, I think Sam Latana does. Definitely Makata does. And that, I mean, it's excitement with something like that. I mean, even with the upset by Pitt and it sucked and we came out the gate and got pinned, but, you know, what's the overall community there? I mean, is it similar to football and basketball where the community is behind this program? Definitely. You can sense it. I mean, if you look at like the growth of the program in the past, you know, uh, five, five, ten years, it's been pretty good to watch. Like I know, you know, back in the 2000s, like, I mean, tech was horrible at wrestling. Like they, they were talking about cutting the program. So to see where we're kind of, uh, where it's come from where it was is pretty, pretty amazing. I know they've, they've found a lot of jet with the SERTC at the Southeast regional training center, yep. helping guys, you know, uh, practice and all that stuff. Um, so they've had the financial backing of, of organizations like that. So I think they just got, you know, the, or the infrastructure to really win at a high level. And I just can't wait to see what they can do, what can, they can do in the future. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were, we started following, um, well, I, I shouldn't say following Hokie football, but attending a lot of Hokie football, other Hokie events in the 2000s. And, and definitely in that era, it was definitely a, an afterthought. You know, wrestling wasn't really even given given any sort uh, of credence from a sports perspective at Virginia Tech Athletics. So the fact that it's built that much of a reputation that quick is, is really impressive. And I love that the community's really kind of embraced that and, and jumped on board. Yeah, it, it's great sure. to see. And, and, any, and I think it's any time you get to the national prominence that quickly. And when it's on television, which the ACC could do a better freaking job of, because I last time we were on here, I ran it. I don't understand how Cornell, Virginia Tech was not on the ACC network. It was literally the number seven and the number eight wrestling schools in the country going at it. And instead, it was a freaking 30 for 30 right there at seven o'clock. And it's just like, Terrible production, but you know, give, give me give me a few more drinks. I mean, I'll really go off on the ACC network. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. break out the the spurtle tapes and and, and just <laughs> lay them out. All right, Sheldon, hang on yeah. with us here before we get into some more fun topics tonight. We are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. All righty. So, Sheldon, thanks for staying on with us for the rest of the time. And we're going to get into some hokey football. We are the Boundary Corner. Nice. We are a Hokie football podcast. Um, it's fun to talk the other stuff. We love it. We love having guests like you on. You mentioned David Cunningham, who's been on numerous times. We thought about Brave. You think we should bring David for the December episode one time, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it. You got yeah, to do we, it. Got, we, we got to get David drinking some bourbon with us. Exactly. All right, but yeah. let's talk football and let's talk portal because since the last time we come here, there was the end of the portal and there was some movement in the last few days. And sort of the big move – I. I did not see coming. I don't think Brian saw coming. 
but maybe you did, Shelton, was Keyshawn King enters the portal, you know, King coming off of, you know, a solid season, probably the best he'd looked since being at Tech, um, including his freshman year, you know, over 400 yards rushing, um, you know, 100 yards receiving. <laughs> that is our coach, yeah. friend Robbie Compton. Um, I, I, let, let's let Sheldon start with it, Brian. Um, when Did you see this coming? Did, did you hear anything or were you shocked that uh, he decided to uh, enter the portal? No, I was very surprised. I, I did not see that coming at all. You know, I thought King um, obviously had a good season for us last year, kind of a breakout year. Finally, he was healthy. Like, he was he was kind of in the doghouse uh, during the Fuente era, you know, for reasons that, you know, maybe uh, some justified, maybe not. But, you know, he's also bad with injuries. And so to see him have a, have a breakout year like this was pretty, pretty awesome. I think he – I don't like him as an every-down type of back. I think he's just too small for that for that type of role. So I'm guessing maybe he saw kind of the writing on the wall. He saw the transfers coming in. I just felt like he wasn't really going to get the carries that he wanted. I'm not, you know, trying to project that on him, but that's just, you know, kind of how it goes most of the time. So a surprising move, but, you know, in the long run, if if, if what people were saying about this uh, incoming back from NCNT is true, I think uh, it's not going to be the, the biggest deal in the world because we, we got some studs at running back. Yeah, and we were talking about that because if you're looking at, you know, you got Thomas, you got now Tootin come in, who we're going to talk about in a second. You know, Keyshawn King kind of becomes that more change of pace back. He's also probably yeah. getting pressed for some carries by Bryce Duke, who kind of do similar type things um, and maybe coming into his own in terms of, you know, being a little bit more durable um than than king has shown in his career so when you kind of put all those pieces together it kind of makes sense for him to maybe look at another opportunity um but let's go <coughs> ahead and flip it over let's talk about uh Bayshul Tudin. um Absolutely. uh stud coming out of ncat i mean uh, stud top 15 in the portal ranked by on three he is the 15th ranked running back in the portal um ahead of some guys you know that played it uh, ahead of Kobe Pace, or right about right with Kobe Pace. It went from Clemson to UVA. Um, the Penn State transfer. Um, oh, where did it go? I'm on a new computer, so this is a pain in the butt. It doesn't do what I want to do yet. Um, the the Kevon Lee from Penn efforting. State. Efforting, efforting, efforting. Uh, Justin yeah. William Thomas that went from Tennessee to Cal. And coming out, nothing, nothing. A&T was his only showable offer on 247. He's up out of Paulson, New Jersey, 5'11", 195. But, I mean, you look at the tape and what he did at A&T last year, stat-wise, yeah. I love the move. I love the move. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I watched some tape on the kid. I mean, he, he does a little bit of everything. Um, he, can, he can catch some balls out of the backfield, make guys miss in space. <laughs> uh, really good at finishing runs. Um, has has that next gear when he gets to the second level, third third level of the defense where he can kind of pull away for the big runs. So um, kind of does a little bit of everything for us. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do a little bit in the spring uh, to kind of get a better feel of what he's going to do in this offense. Do you know if he enrolled early? Yeah. I, um, that I do not know. Yeah, that's a punt on that. On that. I'm, I'm doing it right now. What were you about to say? I'm sorry I cut you off. My apologies. No, I was wrapping it up. So you're yeah, good. Yeah, just kind of echo it. Yeah, just echo what Brian's saying. I, I read um, Fritch's uh, film review on the key play. 
you know, he's obviously physical. He's got some speed. He's elusive. Um, I basically, the sense I got reading that piece was like, this is not a guy that should be playing at the FCS level. Like he is a legit power five running back. Um, so I think he kind of adds a lot to that room. And uh, like you said, you know, one of the top ranks, one of the top ranked transfers, and you add to that Alec Jennings, who I, who I believe, according to On3, was the top ranked transfer wide receiver. So you add those two guys. I mean, that's a pretty good transfer class. Like I know Bill Connolly, who who does the SP Plus rankings for football, he, he said Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech's transfer class was super impressive. So coming from a guy like him, like that's got to be high praise. Absolutely. And it's and he also was talking about the return production on top of those transfer portal guys. He, he He's got us. He's talking about us, which, you know, I'm trying to temper the expectations. We, we still got to see what all the pieces look like together. So that that's why we're tempering expectations. But we yes. actually have some pieces moving into the season, whereas last year it was kind of like, we got to hope a lot of things happen. We got to hope a lot of things happen right, and, and it didn't for us. But I feel like we at least have pieces that are in place. Let's see if the coaches can get the scheme to where they can take advantage of those, and let's see these guys go out there and cook a little bit. Absolutely. But speaking of getting to the season, before we do that, you've got to go through winter workouts. And clearly that is now on display. Social media team doing a great job showing the guys, showing the workouts. And then they started coming out with the little recognition every week in the winter workout tough athletes. And thus far, Johnny Garrett, Jalen Stroman, Narelle Pollard, and Jaden Keller have essentially received the awards. Uh, Brown, I'll let you lead. Who are you happiest to see on this list of essentially crushing the winter workouts? Can I hedge? Can I give you 1A, 1B? There is no 1A, 1B. You gotta All right, screw it. Johnny Garrett. I knew he's going off the of <laughs> <laughs> So why do I say Johnny Garrett? Because – we need tackle help. If Johnny Garrett can get to a point where he is at least pushing Parker Clements coming into 2023, I feel a whole lot better about the offensive tackle situation than I felt last year because I feel like we'll at least have three legitimate guys um, that that can at least give you something. They can at least be – that starting caliber player, whether they're going out there and, and, and beating the world. I, I don't know if, if, if we'll get to that point this year or not. I don't think we will, but I just want to see competent offensive line play, consistent offensive line play, because we didn't see that a whole lot last year. Uh, so if Johnny Garrett can get to that point and push for a starting role in 2023, that'll be a big step forward. So seeing him getting some recognition is, is, is a good start to that off season. All right. What about you, Sheldon? Who are you, uh, yeah, we do need dogs up front. Who are you excited to see on that list sort of already making an impression on winter workouts? Uh, I would say Keller between between the ones you mentioned. I mean, he's a stud. The Kelly Lawson's a stud. Man, that linebacker room is uh, is pretty good. I do have some uh, inside scoop to report, if I may, uh, my uh, Sean Moss insider here. So I was at PK's on Saturday night after the uh, Hokies went over Syracuse, and Brent was in attendance. He may or may not have had several drinks, and he may or may not have used several uh, several four-letter words uh, to describe the uh, the state of that uh, of that room in a very positive connotation. I might add, but tell me basically between Keller Lawson and I believe McDonald is the third the third linebacker. Um, he thinks that linebacker room could be one of the best in the country uh, in the coming years, and I, and I believe him. Like that, those guys are just uh, awesome, man. I love Kelly's like range and versatility, athleticism, the length, and 
all that stuff and uh and uh color as well too so i'm super excited about about that room awesome i love seeing all the names on here i love i love your inside scoop from pk's on saturday night after cocktails with coach um yeah he's a very he's a very candid man by the way he, he will yes tell we we met him when he did the uh hardy the tailgate out there in richmond at hardywood so yeah we, we definitely oh, yeah. uh he definitely knows how to work a room. He definitely knows how to how to play how to play loose with uh with with the, with people that he knows he can play loose with. So I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Now y'all like those two. I'm gonna tell you the guy I like because it's somebody we mentioned in our Alpha Dogs episode, and that's Jalen Stroman. I, I told Brian we discussed that eventually Jalen Stroman would be the leader of the D block. I see this. He is getting that way a lot quicker. We already saw him play on the field last year. He looked good in really his first significant amount of action, especially those games when he was pressed to have to move back to free safety when Jamari came down to play nickel. And now he's out here absolutely balling on winter workouts. We know the bloodline. We know his brother essentially was a leader at the block. That makes me excited. And, Brian, I'll go ahead and say it too. It's also exciting to see Pollard up there. Because we talked about how Pollard probably is going to be the leader of the defensive line this year vocally. And so when you see that, and, and Brent probably mentioned it last offseason, the winter workouts is where you figure out who your leaders are. You figure out who your dogs are. And when you see it's guys you know they're going to be on the field a lot, and someone like Johnny Garrett who snuck into the two deep a few times on the depth chart during the season, that's what you want to see in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely a big step forward, I think, so. Uh, and we and we talked about it. We said we talked about it in the last episode, the Alpha Dog episode. We were like, these are the guys that are going to need to step up in the offseason. It's nice to see three names that we mentioned in that episode already being recognized. Uh, and then it's nice to see kind of that dark horse and Johnny Garrett taking a big step forward. And and hopefully it's not just something that's you know a workout warrior type situation that we're going to start seeing that production carry over to what happens on the field. Absolutely, freaking absolutely. All right, a couple other notes. Um, Fontel mine got paid. He got paid a yes. lot. <laughs> well deserved. Well deserved. The Very man, well. the man has ate the 804 for lunch and dinner. And he's doing some good work, laying some foundation out in the 7572. Um, gets a big bump from 150k up to 425. I like it. I mean, and and it's and when we look at the movement in the footprint in terms of wide receiver coaches that's also happened. It was, it was both warranted and needed. Yes, it was. Yes. Um, look, you, you gotta pay, you gotta pay coaches if you want to have a good football team. I mean, I talked, you know, last year in a future piece I did for the key play, I talked about how tech fell behind sort of during the 10s in terms of, you know, their infrastructure, their, their financial, you know, back into the program. And one of those areas was coaching salaries. I mean, we just didn't, we just weren't investing in, in coaching stars as much as we should have been. And so to see that kind of change those last couple of years where, you know, we invested in this new staff, you know, you give Fontel Mines, a guy who's been doing a great job recruiting, um, you know, a three, a 300% raise or whatever it is like that's, I mean, that's, that shows commitment. And I'm really excited because it shows that they're committed to, to having him here. And I also think with wide receivers, like that's a, that's an important position because, you know, that's kind of how, you know, uh, it's such an integral part to the offense. Like you got to get get those studs here, and you know, kind of open up the passing game if you want to have a functional if, if you want to have a functional offense. So it's a it's a great it's a great thing for Fontel. Obviously happy for him, and certainly happy for Virginia Tech. 
Absolutely. And to, to, to the point on that case about the needing good wide receivers, it looked like they identified that after the off or after the season and quickly, you know, obviously you're the three guys in the portal um, with pretty quick moves, which I think us as a fan base are very excited about. And I have a feeling, especially we know the Ali Jennings connection. We know how much he had probably in getting him here. As like you said, a top rated on three guy. Um, so that was huge. And he did deserve it. He's busted his ass. He's done great yes. recruiting here. He's starting to put the wall around Richmond to where it's now he's getting everybody here. It's can he get the next step? Can he get those top five, top ten guys in the you know greater Richmond region? Um, and this year, um, we'll see. He has the opportunity. Yes, he does have the opportunity yes. this year. Yes. All right. And and one thing to add to that, one thing to add to that real quick. Um, obviously, we know Virginia Tech's offense was terrible last year, but the fact that Fontel could convince a guy like Ali Jennings, who was just eligible left to come play for him, I think speaks volumes to his recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, look, obviously, recruiting is, is all about selling players on a vision. And so I think what you're kind of seeing is like these coaches can sell players on what the future is going to look like, and even if they're, they're not necessarily going to be part of it. So I think, I think that speaks volumes to their recruiting ability. Wonderful. Yeah, because, I mean, Jennings would have had a lot of opportunities uh, elsewhere. Yeah. He didn't have to come to a situation – where Tech is coming off one of its worst offensive seasons, at least in recent history, if not in <laughs> overall. I mean, we years. had to go. We had to go back fifteen years at least to, to, to really have any sort of comparable, um, you know, metric to look at in terms of offensive output. So, um, the fact that he was able to sell that, the fact that the other offensive coaches were able to kind of put that together with what they were doing with a big push for drones, which seems like very calculated well before we knew what was going down with that they they had a vision that they and they had targeted guys that they really wanted to pursue and then they put it together and you know we now have an offense that we can at least say all right we've got some talent let's let's see how we can put all the pieces together and if, if we can make that click a little bit absolutely um if, if everybody doesn't know already spring game april 15th 3 p.m shelton i'm assuming you'll be there <laughs> Uh, work schedule permitting, yes. Work schedule permitting. Brian, you, you're making plans, right? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Okay. No doubt. Uh, Book it. I, I'm a coin flip. I don't know yet. We've got kids stuff going on, and anytime there's a lot of kids stuff going on, I usually have to lay on it because as much <laughs> as I want to go to the spring game, I'm going to a game this year, so I'll lay on the grenade and lose spring game. Um, something interesting ACC Network is doing this year, They are not. I don't think they're showing any game live. Because there's so many on the same days that are overlapping. All of them are going to be on extra, and then they're going to show them, I believe, the subsequent days. So if you guys are looking to catch it after you both go there and watch the game, do that. Yeah. So they're, they're, I think what they were trying to avoid is what they had last year, where they were having like spring games played at night and shit like that. Um, they they were essentially saying it'll be on ACC Network Extra if you want to watch it live, uh, yep. you know, program by program. And then if not, if you if you just get the network, then you'll see it when it airs, you know, re-airs, whatever, one day, two days later. All right. And it makes sense from a scheduling standpoint because that scheduling last year was a little bit God. bonkers. I mean, we probably got – we got both screwed in terms of the day, but we got – I think we t- came out okay in terms of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. It's tough, so I'm, I'm glad they went to this this uh, this model this year. But once again, the ACC doesn't know how to schedule shit. They don't. 
Like you, you, like you, you've got Duke playing super early spring game every year. It's like there are four weekends in April that you could schedule these, and you could get this shit done. Anything you want to add? Because it sounded like you were coming behind me, Sheldon, with something. No, they're, they're, what they're going to do is show a, a documentary about Wake Forest's 1964 basketball team. <laughs> That's what's gonna happen. Hit the rim shot there. By the way, we got Robbie says he's gonna try to go, Brian. All right. So 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 Robbie, you're riding with me, man. Birthday. Well, you gonna drive to North Wilkesboro, get him, and then go up. He's gonna have a shorter drive than you. Meet meet me at Jason's. Meet me in Roanoke. There you go. There you go. Meet me at Jason's in Roanoke. Uh and our buddy Lavar is going as well. Um, but let's flip it, Brian. Let's talk one last piece before we close out tonight. Let's talk about the ACC schedule was released yesterday. Best thing about the Hokie schedule was we knew who our first four opponent was based on the other leagues already having their schedule set. And, you know, we lead off with ODU on the second, Labor Day weekend, Purdue at home on the ninth, and then back-to-back road games at Rutgers and Marshall as the first four. And, you know, subsequently everybody saw and everybody's seen it now from last night. So I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. Sheldon, let's go with you. What's the toughest four-game stretch of this season? Toughest four-game stretch? Well, let me pull it up real quick. Um, I mean, I would say once you start conference play, um, you know, I would say oh, so let's, let's go September and October. So Pitt, Florida State, Wake Forest, Syracuse. All right. Um, I mean, that's, you know, Pitt, I just, I never like the matchup with Pitt. They, like they've got a big physical defensive line. Like we just, we don't play them very well. You know, obviously last year being a private primary example, you know, Florida State's on the road and they're getting his gun, Mike Norvell. So that's gonna be really tough. Um, I don't anticipate, you know, a game like 2018 where they fumble the ball six times and we, you know, recover every single one of them. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and they got a uh, wait for us now. Wake Wake is interesting because they're losing Sam Hartman, but they uh, have Mitch Griffiths, who who was his backup last year. Um, I saw him in the VMI game, his first game of the season. Actually, played pretty well. I think he's got a good arm. There's going to be some sort of you know um, drop off there, but with Clawson, I trust him to kind of get the most out of his offensive guys. So you know that's a game where it's like you know you kind of got to be on your toes a little bit. And then Syracuse, um, kind of probably uh, it started off good last year. I think they were five and zero, tapered off towards the end. But they're a team that you know you gotta take seriously. So uh, that's gonna be a tough stretch. That those games in October, I mean, that's that's really tough. Yeah, I, I was looking at the schedule. I, I agree with you in terms of the four game stretch. It's got to be th- those first four to open ACC play. Um, and then looking at the schedule as a whole, you know, we we really have a lot of. I mean, outside of Clemson, is there really any sure thing in the ACC? Like, I I, I feel like there's there's not. Four I feel like there's. I feel like, yeah, Florida State's probably the close closest because they're not retooling as much as, say, an NC State, who also has probably a pretty good roster as well, but they're not retooling as much as they are. Um, but just looking at it top to bottom, I mean, you know, Pitt's bringing in, obviously, a new quarterback that is familiar with ACC play, but at the same time is yeah. unfamiliar with the system. Um Maybe getting them early in conference play might be working in our favor, but it's still, you know, a month into the season. Who knows with that? Um, FSU, are they back? Is FSU back? I think this is the season that kind of maybe answers that question. Um, you know, as you said, you already talked about Wake breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, can Syracuse defense hold up enough without having an elite rushing attack or an elite rusher, I should say? Uh 
you know, we'll see there. Louisville, first year under Brom. Um, you know, sure. BC is kind of a clusterfuck and they're retooling. They're probably the only unsure thing. But it's in but it's at Chestnut Hill, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it is at Chestnut Hill. So so you know, they've got that in their corner. Um, you know, NC State is gonna be you know, good. playing with a new quarterback, but they're still going to be a, a good team. They're still going to be good on defense. They are losing their uh, most of their linebacking core, though, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, right. and, and those are the big time playmakers. And then you got UVA that may be edging yeah. towards dumpster fire, maybe. Right. But th- they were much improved on defense last year, so we'll see if if their defense takes another step where they can kind of, you know. Figure, take some time to figure it out on offense. They may be at that point at that point of the season, but there's so many question marks with just about every team not named Clemson and maybe Florida State in this conference. All right. I'm going to say I agree with two of the four y'all chose as the toughest four-game stretch, but I'm going to go this. I think it's Rutgers, Marshall, Pitt, and Florida State. There's three road games in four weeks, and you got to play Pitt to Shelton's point playing that big defensive line. Rutgers is Greg Schiano. We know they are going to play an ugly brand of football. Everybody, even though it was Kyle Flood, his protege, everybody remembers the damn Champ Sports Bowl in Orlando back in 2012 and what an ugly game that was. So you're going to get an ugly game up there with a defensive-minded head coach. Then you got to go on the road to Marshall, and you know they are going to be similar to ODU and anybody else we faced in-state or a close proximity in the last five years. They are going to be so up for that game. They are going to probably be sold out, just probably an insane atmosphere for them. Then you got to flip around. Then you got to play Pitt. Then you got to go to FSU. And I also put that stretch because that is also a stretch where it could really break or make or break the season. Because if you screw up and lose the Rutgers or the Marshall game, which is very, very probable. You could be going into the pit game two and two, or maybe even one and three. And then it's just like, okay, well, now you've got to beat Pitt at home and look at the rest of the schedule. And and that's kind of where I sit. I, that's why I consider it tougher than the other ones because at least we're getting a Thursday night and off a of bye week with Syracuse. At least Sam Hartman isn't playing. And I know you, you, know, you saw the kid play Sheldon versus VMI, but at least it's, it's not them at their best. We, we know Clawson's a good yes. coach, but it's not them at their best. It's um, not them with a three-plus-year starter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and tons of weapons all over the place. Or Boogie. Or really good defensive players. All right. L- let me let me flip this. And, and and I feel like this is just, you know, it is what it is. What's going to be the best home game this year? Or which Child, one are you leading on today? I want to go to that. Best home game this year. Yep. Um, ODU, Purdue, Pitt, Wake, Syracuse, and State. Ah, uh, man, I would say I'd probably go State just because I think they're they're a good team. So you know, if 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 you're the, your top, maybe a top twenty five team coming into coming into Lane Stadium late in the season, you can structure off a few wins, go like I don't know what six and. Six and four before that, you know, it'd be a big win for us. Um, you know, that's a game where maybe if like if they come in with like an eight two record and probably can beat them, it's like okay, now we're back as a program. So that's I think that's a potential, potentially very big, big, big opportunity for us. All right, 
Bro? Yeah, I'm going to actually... I'm going to go Pitt. Just okay. because of the history. Um, just because of its ACC opener. Um, there, I think there's a lot that's going to be kind of riding on that in terms of getting off to a good start in the ACC this year. So... I'm going to go pit. You know, I can definitely make a case for NC state and Purdue. The only reason I, I, I lean away from Purdue because they're replacing their coach. We don't really know what caliber of a team that's going to be. Um, but it's early in the season. So there's always that kind of hope. You know, there's always that hype. So if they, if they win their first game and come into, come into lane, especially after the season they had last year, there's going to be some, some hype and build up behind that game as well. But I still, just because of the history, just because of the ACC opener, um, and just because it's a team that I think we need to win because we, we haven't historically done that well against them in recent years. So I think Pitt's going to be the big game. Um, it's a good barometer for sure. It's a good barometer for sure. I, I'm going to disagree with both of you because regardless of who it is, anytime there's a Thursday night lane stadium game, it's the special game. Now, what the hope is we're going into that game – playing really well because we do have a bye week leading up to it after the Wake Forest game. So it's that extra hype because let's just be, let's, let's just call it what it is. If they could go into that game with two losses after seven games and be five and two, can you think about coming after the Wake Forest game and how people would be talking, Hey, we're five and two, we're playing well. We chance to lock up a bowl bid right here on Thursday night. Where we where where so many special moments have happened in the history of this program, so many special moments. And Sheldon, you're young, and this is this is the great part about having you yes. is how young you are. It's like the Corey Moore game forever entrenched in our generation. I think someone like your age, do you remember the Darren Evans game? In or you was that? Darren Evans versus Maryland when he legitimately trucked the safety. I mean, he freaking – Oh, yeah, that was, that was before freaking, my time, yeah. Okay, that was before your time. <laughs> oh, I got to remember yeah, how young you I'm are. Waiting. Oh, man. I'm, wait, I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for my time, man. I'm waiting for my time. This is your moment. There you go. Tech goes in 7-0 and and squashes Syracuse 63-7. And then yes. you have the moment for Thursday night. Yeah, but I just, I'd love to see us blow out a team again. That'd be that'd be I nice. Love a lot of teams. <laughs> I miss those days. I miss the care. I miss 2016 and just absolutely dump trucking Carolina, just dump trucking that ass 55 what 55 10, and it seemed like Ricky Walker's everybody scoring a touchdown. It was just like God. I miss those days. All right, get off the high here. <sighs> Toughest place to play this year. You already already know mine is Chestnut Hill. Florida State's going to be loud. <laughs> Louisville's going to be banging. Chestnut Hill, early November when it's going to be like 23 degrees because they're going to somehow put that game at ACC Network at night, and it's going to be the Red Bandana game. Brian, oh, it's definitely going to be the Red Bandana game, and I, I, I'm still going to lean away from that just because <laughs> I feel like BC is just – they're going to be a, a, a notch – below where they were overall talent than they were last year, even though I think they probably fill in some of the holes that roster had last year. I think they're probably better on the offensive line this year than they were last year, but I still think overall they're going to be a notch down. Um, I'm looking at FSU. I think, I think that's kind of the, maybe the low hanging fruit here, but I'm going to take it. Um, 
that game's going to be hype. It, there's going to be some swag surfing. There's going to be uh, <laughs> some some some, ch- some chops. There's going to be a whole lot of noise. And I think it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a tough one. But if we can go down there and do some business, then especially if we take care of business the weeks before, there's going to start being some some conversations. So that that's mine. Sheldon? Yeah, it's got to be Florida State, man. They've got they've got a stud quarterback coming back. They've got a good head coach. I mean, combine that with the, with the atmosphere they have. I know people talk about BC, but it's like when you're when you're playing a really good team in a in a packed environment, like that's really tough. So I got to go FSU. All righty. One more thing before we kind of close it up here tonight. Um, let's grade this schedule. Let's kind of look at it because, I mean, Florida State's obviously the big one. Like, that's the game we're putting on it. But, like, what you mentioned earlier, Brian, a lot of questions with a lot of these teams. A lot of questions. I mean, even on those, you know, those three, those four out-of-conference games, a lot of questions there. Um, you know, where where do we put this, you know, in terms of who we're playing, where we're playing them, when we're playing them? Where, where would you grade it, Sheldon? In terms of, I guess, if you were talking about excitability, I mean – I would say C personally. I know that yeah. sounds harsh. Maybe C minus. Like, look, it's just, you know, Purdue and Rutgers and Marshall. Like, how am I supposed to? And, and ODU, man. Like, the, our marquee game, our marquee home game is what? Purdue? I mean, State. Like, it's just. State, 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 I mean, yeah, State, State or Pitt? State or Pitt. So, our, our, marquee, our marquee non-conference game oh, is Purdue. Purdue. Like, that's. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. Like, I just can't get excited for that. Sorry. Like, I hope we win all the games, man. But it's just like this is not this is not a schedule that gets my uh, my juices flowing. It definitely doesn't blow the skirt up. Um, uh, you know, when you look at it, there's no real. You know, we were kind of I think grasping for a marquee home game, right? We, we had to. We were hoping we that had to, we, we had to tie some other things into it for f- to really kind of build up a marquee home game. Um, and and when you look at it, you know, you got Purdue. It's it's a it's a solid out of conference opponent, but it's not anything to like really get excited about. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what the schedule is. Um, you know, other than maybe FSU, there's you know, a lot of decent games, but there's nothing that really you kind of circle on the schedule and say, "I'm really looking forward to that." Yeah, I'm with y'all. It's a C. It's a C to maybe maybe because we get Florida State, it's a C plus schedule, but it it, it really isn't and. And I think for us, I think if it was Florida, I think if it was Florida State at home, you know, Wake Forest on the road, it would probably get to the B category. At least um, give you a B minus. Yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah, you got there. you got a marquee home game. Well, the, just hold your horses because next year, have y'all looked at next year yet? I have, but it's been so long I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Clemson is a home game in 2024. Away games at Duke and Carolina. It's also here. The out of conference opponent is Vanderbilt. That's in Nashville, which I know yeah. a lot of people have already started talking about Nashville on Labor Day weekend. Yep. Sign me up. NFL Stadium, I believe. Yeah. NFL Stadium. Yeah. Yep. Sign me up. Sign me up. The, the, it's uh, called the, Jason. He knows all the good spots. He does know all the good spots. <laughs> and he used to work down there. But the, the next season probably ranges that B because you get both Clemson and Louisville at home. Um, you know, you play all you play three Carolina schools on the road, Wake, Duke, and um, you get Carolina. So I think eventually we're going to see a good balance out where you're going to have some of those 
C pluses, but you're going to eventually get some A minuses too. All right, Brian, it is 1045. Has anything broken since we started? Thing from Twitter. I haven't seen anything. I mean, Lakers got a win, so. No comment. <laughs> anything? You seen anything, Sheldon? Nope. All righty. Um, before we wrap it up, the gentleman we talk about all the time is our music guy, Jason Long. Jason Long is a teacher down in the city of Roanoke. He teaches at Woodrow Wilson Middle School. Jason is also the assistant wrestling coach down there. And this week, by the hair of their chinny-chin-chins, his team won the city championship. Um, so we want to shout out our buddy Jason Long, Roanoke City champion, wrestling for the middle school. Um, you know, Jason's always been nice enough to let us use his music all these years. So. And he's been our boy forever, man. I've known Jason since the fifth grade. Um, Brian's known him since I've middle known him school. since middle school. Middle so, school. yeah, we, 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 go, we go back, back. Way back. So, it's awesome for him. Um, I know he always tells us usually a few of his wrestlers always head down when the Hokies are wrestling. And apparently, he's got one kid that he doesn't think is going to play, is going to wrestle in uh, further. He's going to potentially play football. He's been invited to some camps. And we mean invited. He got the. Um, no, we're paying your way to this camp. So maybe if he commits to tech, we'll get him. But Sheldon, we thank you for coming on tonight. And that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. I'm Sean Moss. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes while you are there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account, which is continuously growing. Use your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As long the man who is the coach of the Roanoke City Middle School wrestling team, Jason Long, play us in, play us out. Check him out on his website, jasonlongmusic.com, where you can link to all of his music on Apple, Spotify, and his YouTube and Facebook pages. He is not doing any live events as of right now. I think it's too damn cold for him to go to the farmer's market and freeze his butt off. Don't blame him, plus the coaching gig. We thank you always for listening out there. And as always, let's go! Okie! Okay.